Um, obviously, those that know football, you know that the offense is trying to do what? Score. Sco- Thanks, Kevin. That's awesome. Have you played football? Did you score? No. No. <laughs> On his Nintendo Switch. He plays it all the time. Yeah. Um, the, obviously, the offense is trying to score. What is the defense trying to do? Not let them score. Man, you guys are smart. I don't care what your parents say. You guys are smart, all right? (laughs) The defense is trying to stop the offense, right? So the offense is trying to go forward. And sometimes you you think about it. You know, you're you're on the line, right, Marcus? And you're, you're going against someone else, and you're trying to stop them. Sometimes they get around you. Sometimes you push them back. And we think about it with the church. The church is always trying to to push against the opposition. And sometimes we think the opposition is great. How many have ever face something or a challenge that you're like, there's no way I can get through this. Anybody ever felt that way or thought that way? I, I have many times in my life. But we have to understand that the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. So if I were to have these guys come up here. Yeah, right. Just right here, okay? Won't embarrass you too much. All right. You guys are going to create a line, okay? All right. So kind of stand like this. Like a line like this, like so. One person here, one person here. Do what? Public school at its finest. Education, very good. All right, you two? Ryan? Marcus? Jason? Yeah, we we need Jason too. He's over here, over here. good. We're getting a plan together. All right. Let me, let me step up here to get out of the way a little bit. You ain't scared? I mean, I, I thought I'd just start with chaos and then we'll try to get to the message today. Yeah, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> no. All right. You guys are the offense. Okay. Trying to push through the defense. They are the defense. Trying to stop you. Okay. So the goal is to break the line, to get past the line. Your goal is to try to stop them. We have to get past them. You have to get past them. Just right, I know it's a small area, just right here, okay? Can I do a running start? Uh, I don't know if I'd running start. Here, let me, let me hold your glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just in case something happens to them. Again, if you're a visitor today, we don't normally do this, but thanks for coming. There's a reason for this. I promise there's a reason for this. All right. So I don't know how this is going to work. In my head, these things are awesome. Sometimes they don't turn out. All right, so offense, yes, sir. Is this real? Sure, whatever. I mean, don't, <laughs> don't hurt him too much, okay? Uh, I know we have, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> Seriously, I, I'm somewhat regretting my decision. But anyway, all right, offense trying to break through the defense, defense trying to hold him. All right. All right, go. Let's, 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 let's see this. See this in action. See this in action. All right. I mean, let's give him a hand. We got a couple through. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you got to have a team. All right, all right. Let him back up. Let him back up. All right. Oh, he's switching. He's switching it up. Trust him. All right, we'll, we'll try it one more time. Again, there's a reason for this, I promise. There's not just chaos. All right, ready? Go. Oh, 
Good job. Good job. Give him a hand. And they're getting serious. We're losing boots up here and everything. All right. Offense, was it tough? Not really? All right. It was tough. All right. Uh, Andrew. Andrew, come on up here. Be on this side. Matthew, let's come on up. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get his brother up here too. Billy, yeah, Billy. Billy, come on. He work out. I know they're never coming back again. It's all right. It's all right. It's all good. Uh, on this side as well. On this side as well. So now we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right. All right. You guys okay? You got to, don't die on me, okay? That would. They're like scheming over there. I know they're scheming. All right. So now we have more on the offense and the defense. All right. All right. You guys ready? So again, you're trying to push through. Okay. Get your team across. Ready? Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did it. He made it. All right, let's give him all a hand. Let's give him all a hand. You need a quick break? All right. Yeah. We need another song. You okay, Jason? Everything good? Need a water? <laughs> All right, awesome, awesome. Now, it was a little tougher the first time, right? Just five against three. But the more guys you got, it made it a little bit easier, at least for some of you to get through. So the point of that illustration is sometimes, honestly, it feels like we're going against an impenetrable, whatever that word is, a tough foe, okay? Can't say the word today. A very tough foe, a challenging foe, and we think there's no way we can advance. But I want you to understand, as we look at this lesson today, the message of Jesus is unstoppable. Now, I could have added a lot more, but we don't have much room, and then we'd all be tired, and you wouldn't listen today. But the point is that when Jesus is on our side, there is nothing that can stop us. Okay? When Jesus is on our side, there is nothing that can stop us. There is nothing that can stop his church. The Bible says that... I'm spilling everything today. The Bible says that even the gates of hell can't prevail against his church. And we have to realize that. We have to understand that. There are times that we think there is no way we're going to be able to go forward in our Christian life. There's no way the church is going to go forward. But Jesus died for the church. He purchased the church. It is his. And he said, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Now, I know this is a fun illustration today, but nothing can stop the mission of Jesus. It is unstoppable. And as we get into Acts chapter 12 today, as you catch your breath, guys, you did an awesome job. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Old men, pretty good, pretty good. I know, I know you're sweating. Okay. Does anybody know CPR, just in case there is... Okay. <laughs> Have you learned that yet, Michael? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, next week. <laughs> you got water. Oh, my goodness. Anyway... Acts chapter 12, go ahead and, if you're not there, go ahead and turn there again. And what we're looking at, again, Luke, the, the, the primary writer of the book of Acts, he kind of jumps around a little bit in the story, in the narrative. Uh, several years have passed since the church really took off in Acts chapter 1. 
A lot of times we think, oh, this is just a couple months, really several years, probably at least four or five years up until this point have taken place. So thousands upon thousands have been saved. And with all of that, with all of the advancement of the gospel and the church going forward, there's been a lot of opposition. I want you to look at the first couple of verses. The Bible says, now about that time, Herod the king. Now this was not the same Herod that wanted to kill baby Jesus, but it was in the same family. This was actually the grandson of Herod the Great. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. He, he wanted to really destroy people in the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, there are two James in the New Testament that we're often referred to. One is James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is not him. This is James, the brother of John. So he killed, Herod decides to kill James with the sword. He just executes him because he doesn't like what's going on with the church. So he thinks that I'm going to gain a lot more favor with the Jews that don't like the church going forward. So I'm going to kill one of their key leaders. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, so he kind of, he started with James, not that he wasn't important. He was important, but he didn't start with the very top, you know, uh, Peter and John and some of those others. So he started with James. He, he kills him. He saw that the people, hey, they're, they're all for this. So then he decides to take Peter also. But there was a problem. This was during the time of the Passover. Verse number four, so during the time of the Passover, because of the certain law in the Jewish land, he could not execute during the Passover, so he had to throw him in prison. And when he had apprehended him, when he took him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. Now, this is important. The last time Peter was in jail, several chapters prior, anybody remember what happened the last time Peter was in jail? Anybody? Mike? What? Sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He escaped. Okay, we'll just we'll leave it there. <laughs> just thinking too much. Ordination is over. He escaped. I believe it was him and John. They got together and they were able to escape prison. This time, Herod doesn't want that to happen. So he gets four quaternions. So basically, he's got 16 soldiers gathered around Peter. I mean, that's a lot of guys. Think about it one prisoner, and they got 16 guards around him, making sure that this prisoner does not escape, to keep him intending after Easter, after the Passover, to bring him forth to the people. <laughs> Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. So really, these four, four groups of four, they kind of took watches during the night and during the day, to, and some of them were bound to Peter to make sure that he didn't escape. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison but look at this. But prayer was made without ceasing, which means without stopping, of the church unto God for him. Let's go ahead and stop right there, pray, and get into the message today. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you for the fun that we can have in church. And Lord, for the great job the, the teens and the guys did, Lord. And, and help us to understand the picture. I know it wasn't a complete picture, but help us to understand the picture that the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. No matter what happens, no matter what might deter us, there might be there might be times where we feel like we cannot get through. But even as we saw briefly in this illustration, that there were people that easily advanced and got through to the other side, because if Jesus is on our side, there is nothing that the world can do to deter us. They might throw everything at us that they can, but we have to understand that his mission, his church is unstoppable. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be attacks. It doesn't mean that there might not even be casualties along the way. Obviously, we see in these first couple verses that James has been killed. That's a casualty of the church. 
But the church doesn't stop. The church continues to go forward, and the church continues to advance. And the lesson for us today is that the church, even in today's day, 2021, with all of the opposition in the world, the church can still advance when Jesus is behind us and with us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to learn what we need to learn from this lesson today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Acts chapter 12 is such a phenomenal chapter, especially on prayer. A lot of times when I've preached out of this chapter in the past, I've focused on prayer, but I don't want to just focus solely on prayer because there's so much more in this chapter. Really, this chapter yet again reveals God's sovereignty. John Stott says of this, he says, Indeed, throughout church history, the pendulum has swung between expansion and opposition, growth and shrinkage, advancement and retreat, although with the assurance that even the powers of death and hell will never prevail against Christ's church since it's built securely on the rock, talking about Jesus. And what we see here is that we have an un, uh, unshakable assurance that Jesus Christ will be victorious. No matter what is going on in the world, that Jesus Christ will be victorious and that his church is unstoppable when he is behind them. And the first thing I want to look at and notice today is this. Jesus sees our pain. Anybody ever struggle with, again, dif difficulties and, and trauma in your life? Yes. Jesus sees that. He knows your pain. First and foremost, I want, I want you to understand that. He sees the pain that I deal with, the struggles that I deal with. He sees the pain, the struggles that you deal with in your life. There, there are many times and, and many times where we have doubts like, I don't know if Jesus actually sees my pain. If he knows what I'm going through, I'm here to tell you with confident assurance, he knows what you're going through. He sees it. And the first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus sees our pain. Verse number one, now about that time, this was upon the heels of Saul and Barnabas coming with that relief offering to Jerusalem at the end of chapter 11. And at that time, King Herod or Agrippa I had launched a violent assault on the church. A couple of things about Herod. Herod was a political chameleon. He was the ultimate people pleaser, a glory seeker, and a Christ hater. Herod used a different approach than Saul the terrorist had used. He opted to put to death the top leaders of the early church. He started with James. This was the son of Zebedee, the a brother of John, not to be confused with the half-brother of Jesus that wrote the book of James. But this James, along with Peter and John, he was the one that was closely associated with Jesus. So Herod decides to kill a very important leader within the church with a sword. It's like Herod used James almost to test the waters, to, to see how the people would react. And then he goes to go ahead and do what he did to James, to Peter. But again, because it's Passover season, he could not do that. So we see that Jesus sees our pain. He knows what's going on. And why we know this is because, first and foremost, we have to understand that opposition is inevitable, meaning that opposition is going to come into our lives. We are going to face opposition. Many times, Christians come face-to-face -face with opposition. They come face-to-face -face with trials, and they are utterly shocked. Why am I faced with these trials? Why am I faced with these difficulties? I mean, I got saved I, like the song that we sang, so everything should be good in my life. Why am I faced with this, this turmoil, these trials, these, the tragedy that I don't understand? Look, opposition is inevitable. Now, many Christians focus too much on prosperity. And there are many churches that push that prosperity gospel agenda. But that's not the theme of the Bible. An overarching theme in the New Testament epistles is that expect suffering and get used to it. Now, I know we don't like to hear that today, but 
that's an overarching theme. Expect suffering. It's going to happen. It's going to come in your life and get used to it. But understand that Jesus is with you. And again, even though there's opposition, the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. Look, neither persecution nor intimidation nor death can ultimately stop the mission of Jesus Christ. Jerome, one of the early historians in the church, he said this, the church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not that of others, by enduring outrage, not by inflicting it. Persecution have made the church grow. Martyrdoms have crowned it. So we, we see that opposition is inevitable. We shouldn't be surprised when we faced opposition while living on mission. But another thing we see in this first point is this, that God's providence is unfathomable. Tough word to say and even tougher to spell. God's providence is unfathomable. Why was James allowed to die while Peter, as we'll see later, was able to live? I don't necessarily have the answer to that question. And I'm sure many of us have asked questions like this. God, why do I have to go through this, but they don't? Anybody been there? God, why am I suffering so much when it seems like everything they're doing is just successful? And they're going forward and they're advancing. Again, I've used this illustration many times before, but it's been almost nine years since our firstborn Logan passed away. And during that time in the hospital, those four and a half months, it was a tragedy. It was, it was a trial for us. It was a test and it was a tough thing. And there was many times where I know myself and even my wife, we questioned God. God, because we, we'd look at others in the hospital around us or we'd look at friends that had perfectly healthy babies. My God, I'm, I'm trying to do your will here. I'm in the ministry. I'm a youth pastor at the time. Lord, what more do you want of me? So why are you putting me through this when I've got friends and family that are living however they want and everything seems to be okay? It didn't make sense to me. And there's a lot of things about God's providence and his will that don't make sense, but we have to understand his providence is unfathomable. The question is very easy to ask, why did James have to die but Peter was allowed to live? After all, both were dedicated servants of God needed by the church. Now, the only answer that we can come to is the sovereign will of God. The very thing that the church had prayed about after their second experience of persecution, Herod had stretched forth his hand to destroy the church, but God would stretch forth his hand to perform signs and wonders. God allowed Herod to kill James, but he kept him from harming Peter. Because he wanted to show the church and he wanted to show us today that he is ultimately in control. And again, it, it doesn't make sense in our minds. We can't predict God's ways. We don't understand why certain things happen. Now, we all have to go back and understand that because sin is in the world, there are a lot of things that will not make sense. Again, we can pray over something, an individual, a situation, and God doesn't answer it. All right, well, obviously God didn't care about me. That's not true. That's not true at all. There have been many times where I've prayed, and I'll, I'll, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but there have been many times that I've prayed about something, and it seemed like God was silent. It seemed like God was not hearing me. God's not listening to me. Anybody ever been there? Like, God, what, why aren't you listening to me? And really what we're asking is this. God, why aren't you giving me the answer that I'm telling you to give me? 
So because God doesn't give us the answer that we are telling him to give us, obviously God doesn't care about us. But is that true? No, it's not. He does care about us. Now, it, again, it, it's, it's hard to comprehend, and there's no way I can make us all comprehend, but first and foremost, kind of like in a Revelation series, we have to understand that this earth is temporary, that there is something far greater waiting for us, even after death. And even though death is a tragedy, if you're a Christian, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, death isn't the end. There's so much more glorious things waiting for you. And I've seen in my life that sometimes God can still use death. He can use tragedy to still advance his kingdom. Again, nobody wants to have to go through that. Nobody wants to have to willingly offer their child or, or a spouse and like, all right, go ahead and take them, Lord, so that your kingdom can advance. We, we don't think that way. But sometimes that's how God moves. That's how God works. His ways are unfathomable. Look, we cannot predict God's ways, but he does hear our prayer. He doesn't always answer how we'd assume, but that doesn't detract from his sovereignty because God's ways are fathomless. We cannot fathom all that he does. The second thing we see in the next couple of verses is this. Not only does Jesus see our pain. Now, he saw the pain of the disciples in the early church, and we know this from reading on. But the second thing we see is this, that Jesus hears our prayer. Verse number five, James had died. The church had been praying for him. James had died. He had been killed. Peter, therefore, now he's, he's kept in prison. But, but notice the next two words, verse number five. What are the next two words? But prayer. But prayer was made without ceasing, without stopping of the church unto God for him. So even though one of their own was killed, even though one of their own tragically lost their life, did it stop the church from seeking God? No. They continued to seek him even more. You know, one might wonder what, what the church's response might be. Do they, do they take up arms and go out and kill Herod? Do they protest? Do they, uh, what, what do they do? You know, throughout history, those things have happened there have been times when the church has taken up arms and, and fought. There have been times when the church has protested. But I want you to understand that I think most importantly, when things like this happen in the life of a church and life of an individual, one of the very first things you must do is pray. Prayer was made. Prayer was the turning point in this story. And what we see is that prayer is effectual. Look, prayer is always the first and best response. It's the church's weapon. And using it is not passive. Now we think it is because here's the difficulty we have. We're praying and we can't control the situation, right? By us praying, we're relinquishing control. And even though we don't say it a lot of times in our prayer, Lord, Lord, it's your will. Now in the back of our minds, it's your will, but you still need to do this for me. <laughs> But what we're doing really by praying is saying, God, I'm relinquishing control to you. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand the situation, but I'm praying. I'm seeking you. I'm putting it in your hands because you're in control. You're sovereign. You understand the thing much better than I do. Here it is, Lord. Prayer is effectual, and we have to never underestimate the power of a praying church. And I think about this, and I asked this question a little bit earlier. 
we ask the question, why? Why, why do some of my prayers go unanswered? But really, that's a false question because God always answers our prayers. Sometimes the answer is no. You think about, again, we, we use this a lot. You think about children raising kids. Your kids ask a lot of questions. And not all the time do you say yes to those questions. Hey, I want a new car. Yes, okay. How much do you want? Oh, $80,000. No, I can't afford that. I want this, I want this, I want this. I, I can't give you everything. You, they still get an answer. Might not be the answer they want, right? Right, guys? Yeah, exactly. But they get an answer. Same thing is true in our life with God. We pray, God gives us an answer, but it's not always the answer that we want, that we anticipate. And l listen to this. This is important. We tend to insult God's intelligent, intelligence when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we ask him to by failing to consider that no might be the answer that he wants. Like, it doesn't make sense, Pastor. It doesn't make sense at all. Like, why would this, this child, this individual, this person, I, I'm praying fervently for them. Why would they have to die? Well, again, if they're a child of God, death isn't final. There's so much more waiting for them. And I know it's sad for us, but maybe it's an opportunity for God to reach out to others that have never heard others that don't know who Jesus is, so that others might see people's strength through God come alive and like, wow, I don't know how you managed to make it through that situation, but I want what you have. And then really it's an opportunity for us to what? Share the gospel, to promote Jesus, to promote his church. You know, you think about it, even Jesus in the garden he prayed to his father, Lord, remove this cup from me. I don't want to have to go through this. Did God remove it from him? No. He allowed him to go through it. Hey, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want it because he knew the, the suffering, the agony that was going to happen. But God answered his prayer not by removing the cup. So Jesus prayed again. He prayed for them for strength, for courage, to do what God had commanded him to do. So before I go on, let's never confuse prayer with the magic or consider God a cosmic bellhop who is there to do our bidding. This is not how prayer works. You know, when James was executed, the people did not despair of prayer, meaning they didn't stop praying. They prayed for James. They were devastated when James was executed. And then things got worse because Peter, he stood next in line for execution. But the Christians did not abandon prayer. You know what they did? They prayed more earnestly. Prayer isn't a retreat. It's an act of holy defiance. It's an act of placing dependent confidence in the sovereign God who hears the prayers of his people. And what we see in this story is an amazing thing. Uh, the old Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said this, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. And what we see as we move on is this, that God's peace is phenomenal. Look at verse number six. Church is praying, they're gathered together. When Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping. Now, I find it interesting. Whenever difficulty is going on, we usually find Peter sleeping, whatever. <laughs> he definitely got his, his rim cycle, you know, he was, he was all about that. Anyway, 
And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. So he is chained up beside two soldiers. There's no way to escape. This is a high, intense, high security prison. And the keepers before the doors kept the prison. So there's even guards outside of it as well. Verse number seven. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. And a light shined in the prison, and he smote, he struck Peter on the side. Hey, basically, wake up, Peter. Quit sleeping. And he raised him up, saying, Rise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said in him, Gird thyself, hey, get, get ready. Get your sandals on. Let's go. And he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. So get your clothes on, get your sandals on, get your shoes on. Let's go. Follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not, it basically means he, he didn't know what was going on. He wasn't sure if this was a dream, if this was true. I mean, I'd probably be in the same situation. Am I dreaming this? Is this true? He thought he saw a vision. Verse 10, when they were past the first and second ward, the, the guards, they, they came into an iron gate. Now, this is the cool part of the story. They came into an iron gate that leadeth them to the city. So they're getting ready to go into the city, but there's this ginormous iron gate that is stopping them, that is deterring them. But then all of a sudden, it opened to them of its own accord. It's pretty awesome. This is the first automatic door in history. Think about that. Now, if I were Peter, I'd be like, oh, what just happened? Let me try that again. Anyway, this, my mind is crazy. Um, so this, this iron door opens of its own accord, and they went out, and they passed on through the street. Forthwith, the angel departed from him. So the angel of the Lord comes down, helps Peter escape prison. Guards are asleep. They're out of it. They're out of the equation. This door just magically opens before Peter. And then Peter's left in the street. The angel's departed. And then he kind of like comes to himself and like, okay, uh, this isn't just a dream. This is real. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know of a surety of confidence that the Lord hath sent an angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Again, Peter was guarded by the soldiers, but his heart was guarded by God. And what we see in the next few verses, verse 12 through 19, it's a, it's a funny part of the story, but we see that God's grace is astonishing. God's grace is astonishing. Let's continue the narrative. I love this part. And when he had considered the thing, he was thinking about what just happened, what just took place. He came to the house of Mary. So this is the mother of John. And a lot of these people were gathered together in the church and they were praying. She probably had a larger house. So they're all gathered together. He knew where to go because they, they probably had Bible studies there. They probably uh, met together and fellowship there often. So he knew that he had to get out of the streets just in case prisoners, the guards woke up. So verse 13, remember, what is the church doing at this time? What are they doing? They're praying. They're gathered together. They're praying. So the church is gathered together praying. Peter's escaped. They don't know what's happened. He goes and knocks on the door of the gate of the house of Mary. And a damsel, a little girl came to, to the door. Her name was Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate. It, just, it cracks me up. So they're inside praying for Peter, right? God, deliver Peter. Do something amazing. Hey, it's Peter. Let me in. It's Peter. So then she doesn't open the door. She goes and runs back to everyone else. And it's funny. She ran in. 
told how Peter stood before the gate. Hey, guys, Peter's outside. It's pretty cool. And I love their reaction. And they said unto her, you're mad. <laughs> you're crazy. Our vernacular, cray-cray, whatever, whatever you want to say. You're insane. You're local, whatever. Uh, you're Whatever. You're mad. <laughs> but she constantly affirmed that it was even so. No, 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 I'm not mad. All I've had was water. Everything's gone fine. I'm not mad. Then said they, oh, it's not him. It's his angel. <laughs> Again, it, it cracks me up because they're praying for God to do something miraculous. God is doing something miraculous and they don't believe it. Any of us relate? Oh yeah, many times over. We're praying for a miracle. God gives us a miracle. Ah, I, don't, I don't really know if that's true or not. I don't really believe that. <laughs> I've got it written in my Bible here. You know, this is how we are. We pray, but we don't believe. We pray asking our Heavenly Father to do something. He does it and, oh, wow. Can't believe that worked. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but Peter, and again, just picture this in your mind. You know, one of the things that, you know, I hope in heaven we have, you know, these giant screens where we can, like, replay some of these events. These, this is definitely one of the events that I want to replay and I want to see. Peter's just, hey, guys, I'm out here. It's the middle of the night. I just escaped jail. Pretty sure they're going to be after me. Let me in. Anybody there? I know you're in there. I hear you talking. I know you're partying or something. I want in. Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they, they finally come back. They somewhat believe Rhoda, or they don't believe her, but fine. All right, let's, let's shut you up, so let's go and answer this door. And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Oh, what are you doing out of jail? I thought you were in prison. They were just praying. Again, it, it, it's comical to me and to a few others today. But they're astonished. They're amazed. But he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace. So I can just imagine this as they're all, basically they're probably all coming together. We don't know how many there were, but they're all coming to the door. All right, let's see who this really is. Whoa. And then they're probably like, Peter, hey, what are you doing, buddy? I thought you were in jail. That's awesome. Shh, shh, quiet. <laughs> all right, quiet, guys. I just got out of jail. If they hear I'm out, they're going to come after us and they're going to know where I'm at. So that's what he's doing here. He's, he's beckoning with them with his hand to hold their peace. And he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. So then he's retelling the story. And he said, go show thyself or show these things unto uh, to James and the brethren. This is the half-brother of Jesus. And he departed and went into another place. And as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? So when the morning came, they woke up and like, well, what just happened? Because the shackles are probably still shut and the guy that's supposed to be next to him is gone. Again, what would you think if you're the guard <laughs> or one of the guards, one of the four or of the 16 and maybe another, another watch is coming in and like, guys, where's the prisoner? He's right here. Oh, snap. This isn't good. So there's no small stir among the soldiers what became of Peter. Verse number 19, And when Herod had sought for him, 
found him not. So then Herod's coming because this is the day that he's supposed to be executed. So Herod is coming. He's seeking for him. He doesn't find him. He's going to be mad. So he examines the keepers. He's asking them, hey, what took place? And because the prisoner escaped. Now, in this time, what, what would take place if, if someone escaped prison? The ones that were in charge of them, whatever was the sentence for that prisoner was then put on the guard. So if they were in for, for thievery and their sentence was a year in prison, then the guard would have to stay in prison for a year to take their place. But Peter was supposed to be executed. So what was their sentence going to be? They're now going to be executed because they lost this prisoner. And he commanded that they should be put to death. And he did. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. You know, the amazing thing of that story, that narrative, we're going to continue in just a second, but again, they're inside the house, really basically discussing theology while their answer is waiting for them outside. They couldn't believe that God provided for what they asked for. But are we any different? And we see that God's grace is astonishing. Yes, one of the key members of the church died, was executed, a gruesome death, but God, he knew their pain. He heard their prayers. And he still answered them. And, and again, the thing that sticks out to me is that the church, yes, they didn't believe initially, but they're still praying. They're still seeking God. God, we need you. You see, so many times, and I, I know in my own life, and I, I'll put myself here, so many times when God doesn't answer the way that I think, sometimes I just, I want to quit. I want to quit praying I want to quit trusting God because obviously he doesn't care about me. But then he has to remind me of all the things and how he's good, how he's gracious, how he's merciful. All the things in my life that he has done for me. And then we continue on the narrative very quickly this morning. In the next few verses, what we see is that, you know, there are enemies against the church, right? Herod is the biggest enemy. Herod is a is an enemy of the church, and he is trying to destroy the church. But again, remember, Jesus is always victorious. Even though it seems like evil runs rampant for generations, and it does, he always deals with his enemies. It might not be in the way that we think, but he always deals with his enemies. And one thing we know from our study in Revelation, it might not be until the end of the world, but he will take care of those that have gone against him. And the truth is simple here in these last few verses. Jesus offers his mercy, but he will finish in judgment. Now, if the account had ended with Peter's departure, we'd find ourselves wondering, what happened to the prison guards? What happened to Herod? We do not know at what time the angel delivered Peter, but when the next quaternion uh, uh, arrived at the cell, imagine their consternation when they discovered that the guards were gone, or the, the prisoner was gone. And when we see the rest of the story, look, verse number 20. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord, so they're all coming together. He's the king of the land. Having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace. They, they want peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. He's got his, his finest garb on, his finest outfit. 
He sat upon his throne and, and made an oration to them. So he sits on his throne and he's making this great speech to all of the land that is there on this day. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of man. Now, first and foremost, before we move on, this happened to some of the disciples when they did miraculous things. The one thing that the disciples always did is they quickly said, you know what? No, no, no. It's not about me. Who is it about? It's about God. I'm just his messenger. I'm just his servant. So understand that. Peter's done that many times over. Hey, hey don't worship me. Don't fall down to me. Don't, I'm, I'm nothing. We, did, we saw that in the story uh, of, um, uh, uh, who was it? The, a couple weeks ago. What was the guy's name? Obviously, you guys listen too. All right. Anyway, that guy. Um, what was his name? Cornelius. Cornelius. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was right there. Cornelius. We saw that Cornelius was trying to bow down to him. He's like, no, no, no. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. So all the people are gathered together. Oh, he's, it's the voice of a God, not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not glory to God. And he was eaten up of worms. That's just disgusting. And he gave up the ghost. He died. I don't have time to read it all, but when you kind of study this out, some believe that he might have had appendicitis, basically, that his appendix burst. And for five days, he suffered in agony. For five days, he was dying, and finally, his life was over. Because the point is that Jesus deals harshly and justly with his enemies and those that oppose the church. Look, Jesus, most importantly, would rather save you than judge you. But if you him, forsake him and rebel against him, if you deny him, then the Bible is clear that judgment is yours, and that's why it's so important that we repent of our sin. That we come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Herod could have easily, when the people are, hey, you're some God and not some man. No, it's not about me. Hey, thanks. You're right. It is about me. Keep it up. God doesn't like that. So he dealt with him because of his pride, because of his rebellion, because of his opposition against his church. But notice what happens in verse 24. We don't have time to get into all this today, but, but the word of God, what are the next three words? Grew and multiplied. Amazing. Even despite opposition, God's word grew. The church grew and it multiplied. No matter the opposition, Jesus promised that he will build his church. Not even the gates of hell can prevail, prevail against it. There's more I want to say, and I'm going to wait until EQ to, to continue this narrative, but not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. And the lesson in these final verses is clear. Listen, those who oppose the Lord will lose. Herod tried to be God, and it led to his demise. That's why it's important that we humble ourselves before a holy God. Look, the early church had no political clout. They had no friends in high places pulling the strings for them. Instead, they went to the highest throne room of all, the throne room of grace. You th see, they were a praying people, for they knew that God would solve their problems. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, Herod seemed to be in control. The church was losing the battle. One of their own was killed. But by the end of the chapter, Herod's dead. 
And the church is still just as much alive. And it's growing rapidly. You know, what, what is one of the main secrets of this? I believe it goes back to verse number five. Prayer. You know, one of the secrets, and there's so many really, when you study God's word, one of the secrets of a thriving church is a church that is gathered together in prayer. And when we gather together in prayer, it's relinquishing control, as I've said many times before, and saying, God, I'm giving it over to you. Lord, this is what I want, but ultimately, it's your will. And if you say no to me, that's okay, because you're still God. You're still sovereign. And there's so much more, but again, the point I want to make is that we're going to face opposition, church. We're going to face persecution. We're going to face tragedy and things that are so far beyond our comprehension. We're not going to understand but the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. And here's the key truth. The church will face opposition as they seek to advance the gospel, but the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. I can't help but think of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. The Bible says, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is one of my favorite verses as a teen and young person growing up. If God is for us, who can be against us? There's no one, not even the world. And I know our world is, is going to pot, so to speak. And I know our world is getting worse and worse by the day. And it seems like they are winning and culture is winning. But if God be for us, there is no one that can stand against us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen. Who is uh, at the right hand of God, who also is making intercession prayer for us to his Father. And I love these last few verses. Who shall separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, a sword, as it is written, for thy sake? We are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, listen to these last two verses that Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, nothing, he's saying, shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and really, you can reference this to Ephesians chapter 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, loved us. He's given us his son. His son died for us on the cross. And if you're here first and foremost today, and you're not saved, then I want to challenge you to ask Jesus into your heart. Ask Jesus to be your savior. There should be no delay. Look, we don't know how long our life is. And this isn't a scare tactic. It's not what it is. It's a passionate plea to understand that our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Our life belongs to God, and it's up to him. He determines how long we live, how long we're on this planet. But if you're here today and you never trusted Christ as your Savior, I challenge you to accept him. Look, it's something you can do. You can come forward. We don't try to push that here. It's something you can talk to us afterwards. Most importantly, we want you to understand that Jesus died for you on the cross. 
He rose again victorious for you. He's the only one in the history of the world that has ever himself raised from death to life. And because of that, he is in heaven now preparing us a place. And this isn't just a fanciful story. There are eyewitness account to Jesus' resurrection, to his ascension. You can't dispute that. And if you're here today and you never trusted him, today is the day. And as over and over, even in the book of Acts, hey, repent, repent. Come to Jesus as your Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come and be my Savior. It's as simple as that, believing in Jesus. Asking forgiveness of your sins. And there's so much more, but that's it. If you do that, if you believe, then Jesus will save you. But for the Christian today that is struggling with opposition, that is struggling with trial, that is struggling with tragedy, understand that his mission is unstoppable that he is sovereign, that he is in control. He hears our prayer. He, he knows our pain. He deals with our enemies. It might not be in our timetable, but he takes care of his own. And that's what we're seeing here from this early church and this story and this narrative in Acts chapter 12. He knows what you're going through. And I know some of you right now are going through some immense pain and tragedy. I want to challenge you to continue to pour your heart out to God. But just because you're pouring your heart out to God, if God doesn't answer the way that you think he should, it still doesn't retract from his goodness. He's still God. And he still loves you. And he has a purpose greater than your understanding. Again, and I've used this many times over, and I'm not trying to, to beat it, but I, I am thankful today that God took Logan. Because so many people have either come to Jesus or gotten their lives right because of his story and testimony. And to me, that's worth it all. Because one, I know I will see my son again in a glorified state in heaven. And I'm so thankful for that. Who knows what would have happened the rest of his life. He, I would have loved to have him and Nate and Noah together. But I know that we'll see him again because I am saved. I'm a child of God. He's in heaven. He's, he's celebrating with Jesus. He's whole. He has no problems. But I'm also thankful for the ones that have come to Christ because of that. And that's how we have to look at things. And, that, and that's what I want to talk about in EQ. We have to see our problems through a different lens. Not that God is just punishing us. It's not always about that. But God, how are you trying to grow me? What are you trying to do to advance your kingdom? Understand Opposition is going to come, but the mission of Jesus is unstoppable.